1: Live from the 6th and Peabody Studio and across the OutKick Network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski.
2: Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway. 6th and Peabody in Nashville with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The crew is all here recapping quite the weekend. Both in Knoxville, across college football, and upsets in the NFL, gentlemen. Good afternoon.
0: What a weekend it was! Big time in Knoxville. Uh, my left hand—I've done something to my index finger from all the high fives and embraces over the course of the game. Bruised. Other than that, uh, I think it's some sort of sprain. He's got hug uh, finger. It's bigger. <laughs> the knuckle's a lot bigger than my right knuckle. It started bothering me. I didn't feel it during the game. Saturday night started feeling something. It swelled up by Sunday. Mm. But that is an easy price to pay for witnessing. What I tweeted on Saturday night, and I believe, I think a year ago, I could claim maybe the A&M win over Bama was the best live sporting event I've attended in terms of um, enthusiasm, back and forth, everything to go with it. I think that one on Saturday topped it. 52-49 to 49, with all of that anticipation and with Tennessee to end a 15-game losing streak in that fashion – it's the best sporting event not just Tennessee event best sporting event game I've attended live in person not saying it's the greatest ever it's the best one I've been at
2: yeah and I I I'm right there with you on it the the college station atmosphere was incredible but the circumstance is a bit different you know m comes in with two losses we're comparing it to last year 53 weeks ago and you know the backup quarterbacks in and you know, Alabama turning it over a, a high margin. They have a, a kickoff return that gets them back in the game. This, while it's an upset, did not have that same flavor to it. This was okay. There's a new. There, there's another team in the top tier group that has risen over the last year to not just compete but beat Bama. And now you look ahead and think, man, what what else can happen for the unbeaten Vols? That that was. That was the loudest stadium I've ever been in.
1: It was tr- terrific just to see, uh, you know, they had the lead, a significant lead. Bama obviously did what Bama does and, and came back. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I, I started to think, like I always think when Bama does that, oh, they're going to do that, that thing where, you know, they make you feel like they're in trouble and then, and then they're not. And uh, Tennessee, great resolve to, to uh, not let that happen. And to walk away. And the, and the one thing that struck me the most, I, I, I thought um, Tennessee's pass protection was terrific. Hendon Hooker's ability to stand in there. And by stand in there, I mean, and I don't t- I'm not criticizing him. Most quarterbacks, when they have time in the pocket, are kind of bouncy, and he's not. He just kind of gets back there and stands kind of flat-footed, surveying it, and it conveys even more his poise and his calm. And uh, I just thought he, he was terrific. Obviously, he's going against the Heisman Trophy winner there, who was super terrific. But uh, boy, did Tennessee deserve that win. And now you hope that they don't have a letdown on the other side of it. Uh, obviously, this week, is, it's not going to happen. And then an, another huge one. But if they could do it twice, man, what a, what a season. So uh,
2: on top of that, you have Jalen Hyatt's performance. Catching the five touchdown passes, Tennessee leads at one point seventeen by seventeen, and then you know all of a sudden Bama comes back. They get back in it. They have the fumble recovery for the the touchdown, and that made it what forty nine forty two. And you're uh, you're thinking at that point, well, this just happened again in the fourth quarter, and then they get the stop after tying the game. Miss the miss the field goal, twenty one seconds left. Hendon Hooker with two massive throws and it sets up the field goal. That I mean, we saw the, the, the this murmur across the stadium right before the kick where it's like, okay, this is, uh, this is quite the moment. Is it going to have enough distance? And then you see it off the foot and you're thinking, from the vantage point, was it tipped? It's was hard it just to believe it wasn't, it
1: wasn't tipped. And just the I way it, it came off, to... you just see
2: it floating, but it looks like it's going to be well short the way it's just floating or it's going to be wide. And at least from our vantage point, Chad, and then it floats through and then the pandemonium returns to Neyland Stadium. So we were seated basically
0: parallel with the goal line that the winning Chase McGrath field goal was kicked into. So here's my look at the last play. I'm looking at a television monitor that's over to the left and I'm thinking it's synced up and it's live with the uh-huh. kick. So that that angle was from behind. So this is the only way I can see field goals if it's made or not. Well, I'm watching and I've got one eye going to the actual kick and I realize, oh, Saban didn't use his last timeout. That was surprise number one. He iced Tennessee once but didn't do it again with one timeout left. So when he's actually addressing the football, I remember Clay saying, or uh, Allen, our buddy, saying, he almost had a false step on the kick where it looked like he stumbled. To start, or he slowed down his normal approach. I didn't see that because by the time I noticed that the TV was about a second behind, I'm looking back at the ball, just knuckling through <laughs> the air. And I remember saying it's short. And that's when Clay to my right said, Oh no, it's perfect. And then that's when the end zone erupted as it goes through. And I don't even see the the this good sign from the officials at that point because Neyland Stadium was going crazy. Uh, It's it's one of the more memorable sporting events I'll ever be at. It was an incredible scene, start to finish. And you were talking about Hendon Hooker. 70% completion in this game. 18.3 yards per completion. Bryce Young was terrific. Hendon Hooker was better. He was more efficient in this game, and he won the football game. And Bryce Young, this is the rare moment where a player – loses a big top 10 battle and doesn't really hurt their Heisman chances. But what Hendon Hooker did in this game only improved it. He jumped Bryce Young. He jumped everyone else. He is the favorite right now. I will not listen to another argument against that. He may not win it, but he is in prime position right now now to do something. And going into this game, I thought what they need from Hendon Hooker next week against UT Martin is about a quarter – or a half a quarter and get him out and let Joe Milton run the offense. And now, guys, I'm honestly thinking, play him three quarters and let him pat his stats. So
1: That's he can where have I a so go. he
0: can have a fighting chance now in New York, and you don't have a game where he's up and he can go crazy in this game statistically and only
2: increase his chances. So his five longest completions covered 232 yards in this game. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, and then his five completions for at least 27 yards, is not a first this season. Um, he did it against Pitt as well. Um, he, he's now, he now has 10 games with at least three passes of 27-plus, plus. Uh, and that's since he took over at quarterback, two of them a bit this year. And when you score that in the fashion of how it changes football games, he won the game Saturday and, and did it throughout from the start to the finish Against Alabama, his three longest touchdown passes, 174 yards. They did it with Jalen Hyatt, who I know we're going to speak on momentarily. But they, the way they scheme things open within this offense and make things look routine as if the other secondary isn't very fast is remarkable, considering how we viewed some of these players through the lens of a previous regime. And Heupel took what he had and. He has made it fit his offense that is only going to improve both in their pace and understanding I mean last year to this year you see hooker running this offense i mean it's it's even better and knowing that what three sections behind the end zone, the north end zone was nothing but recruits, four and five stars yeah Ooh. there was like 12 I hadn't even five star recruits of
1: the recruiting And even more yeah. four
2: star in, in the building for that game I mean that, that's it's it is. Is it insane what what Heupel has done and what Hinton Hooker has done, considering how soon it's how recent it's been that they, they they've been here and they've been playing or coaching. And and it's it's weird to say this for a team that gave up forty nine
0: points and four hundred and whatever yards passing to Bryce Young. I thought Tennessee's defense played hard and played well in big moments in that game. Uh, as short handed as they were, they're down. They're down Warren Burrell at corner. They're down Christian Charles at corner in that game. Kamal Haddon didn't play with a hamstring issue that week in practice. Jalen McCullough has played more snaps than anyone on defense. Josh Heipel says today he's not suspended. He was just unavailable, which may be a little bit of semantics after his arrest. It was a walk-on corner I've never heard of named William Wright that made one of the final tackles of the game that kept Alabama at the 31 or 32 mm. – and then they throw three incompletions. Let's talk about that for a second too. That was the most baffling decision. We all turned to each other and said, "Well, now Bama can just hand it off and get four or five yards a pop."
2: Well, they were doing and that and get closer there were, and use their timeouts and kick it with 3 seconds left. There were drives where for whatever reason Bill O'Brien and company were not going back to the run and the run game was working. And and not even that final possession, you know, like the Throughout the game, I felt like they should be relying on the run game more. And I, that's me saying I agree with you guys on the way Bryce Young was playing too. But they were just, uh, in some cases, I mean, going back to the defensive performance chat, I, I realized they put up 49, but consider what they did. They, they forced punts on two of Alabama's first three possessions of the game. In the second half, after another turnover, um, they held Bama to, well, three field goals. And of course, two of those were made one missed in the most crucial time, and then you, they got their stop. I've said, you know, the theme of the offseason for me, can this defense get two or three extra stops that they were not getting a year ago? Because when Alabama went up 49-42, I'm thinking, well, this, can they get one more stop? Can they get Hendon Hooker, the football back, and tie the game? I'm not even thinking about win the game at that point. And they were able to do it. They got two more stops after that.
0: Will Anderson had one tackle and yeah, a half sack. I, did you remember him? I no. don't even remember seeing him. I mean, Tennessee's offensive line, Paul, you talked about the protection for Hendon Hooker. Maybe the most surprising element of this game was Tennessee way out rushed Bama. Yes. They were the more physical team up front. They kept Bama's great pass rush off of Hendon Hooker for the entire game, they completely negated Will Anderson. Who many believe is the best player in all of college football, regardless of position, may be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. That was shocking to me to watch that part of it and think Tennessee was the tougher team up front in this game, and that's not part of it I saw coming. You think of Tennessee, you think of these highlight reel deep passes down the field. We got that on Saturday, but they can run the ball also, and, pointed, and they they did that for uh, they did that really well on Saturday.
2: I went in detail on that Friday on the show about how they stick to the run and comparing them to Alabama, LSU, Kentucky, offenses that you think are going through the run and knowing what Tennessee averages versus what those teams do. And I, they get more possessions. They score faster. That's all fair. But they did everything well that hypel has been doing well since he took over. They had the fast start in this game, scored 21 points. They had uh, big pass completions, five completions uh, of the top five of the game, 232 yards. They ran the ball 39 times. Enough stops on defense, and then
1: special teams. You know, a couple big plays on special yeah. teams. Oh, how about special Saban teams. just
2: going nuts on the guy trying to touch the punt? Yeah,
0: with the what are you do? I that was an odd. Now the player claims he thought, he he thought, it, thought touch. it touched Jameer Gibbs' leg, but I don't gotta buy be that. Sure, that nobody else is because, reacting. But if he if he really thought that, he's pouncing on the ball. He was just casually going to pick the ball up, almost like he forgot that he was on offense. And he was a defensive player punting it, downing it at that spot when it started to bounce forward. Really? That's bad. what I really think happened. I think his mind went to a place that he was suddenly on punt team and not punt return. And he was almost looked like he was going to put his hands down to down the ball. And that's when he got hit and Tennessee recovered. And
1: Tennessee was able to survive its bad stuff, that the awful handoff that was a walk in yep. touchdown for Alabama, but it's a not flint, no flinch moment.
2: You know, they didn't and speaking of flinching, Alabama, what, seventeen penalties? What fifteen or sixteen Atrocious. of those are due to the crowd? That's how loud it was in there, with yeah, the they, false starts or un, you know did, did too many men on the field or or delay of game, whatever it was.
1: He's got to be going nuts today reviewing that with his team.
2: Uh, but any
0: time when you go to your lineman and you're changing the play, it, that you're just taking the chance that Somebody something's going to happen because someone then is thinking about something different. Bryce Young was good at changing it to the right play. He's great in but that. But th- there's no way to, for that to be perfect. When you decide to audible that late, then you're going back. The delays of game that we saw, false starts, a lot of times that came after Bryce Young decided in a crazy environment. The moment he started to go to his line to change something, it was going to get louder and louder, and that's what happened, and it led to some penalties. In our chat right now, um, Russell says, refs were terrible both ways. But Alabama fans complaining about the officiating is, is rich. Coming from Alabama fans, I completely agree with that. That is a program that, while they've been better than most everyone else, haven't had many instances to complain about officiating for a while. And there were some bad calls both ways. I thought the pass interference on Tennessee – in the end zone when Bryce Young pulled a magic act to evade about three different sacks and throws it up for grabs. It was a bailout call. Was it probably because two guys ran into each other? Technically a pass interference? Maybe on the play, but it was a bailout for Alabama that gave them a touchdown. And I thought the Princeton fan thing, there's a photo of it. He grabs him early on it. Is it one that's always called? Maybe not, but by letter of the law, it was the right call, even if it was a late flag. Well, you can see the contact that gave before the Tennessee, ball's there. It gave Tennessee new life on that one. So I look at both those, though, and think it's a wash in the end with those pass interference calls. Those are the two, to me, most questionable calls of the day, those pass interference calls, one on Tennessee, one on Alabama.
2: Hit us up with your thoughts at OutKick360. You can do that in the chat as well on YouTube, just searching us out there. If you're listening to The Great Radio Partner, we appreciate that. Coming up, we'll continue the discussion of Tennessee and Bama and the AP Top 25, the college football weekend recap is next on OutKick360.
1: You ready? Showtime.
2: Now oh, kick 360 rolls on. what a week at a college football with some of the finishes, USC, Utah. Uh, some good games in the SEC. TCU and TCU. Uh, and Oklahoma, and State. Oklahoma State. Yeah. Um, Clemson continues their winning ways. and Syracuse is undefeated. Yeah. And now we have Syracuse and Clemson this week. Here's For- a look at the uh, the AP top 25. How oh,
1: good does that look to you, Chad?
2: Tennessee up to number three. Alabama falls to six, so they flipped. Yeah, they flip here. It's exactly then, what I called when I yeah. said they're going to flip flop the two of them now. And then you have Georgia, Just the right move. Ohio yeah. State and Michigan, Michigan who throttled Penn State, number four overall. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson. Your top five, uh, rounding out the top ten: Bama, Ole Miss, TCU, UCLA, and Oregon. With the losses, Oklahoma State is down to eleven. Penn State falls to sixteen. Mississippi State at twenty four, after Kentucky
0: handled them. That was one of the bigger surprises of the weekend. Was Mississippi State was terrible. Uh, they barely ran any plays in that game because Kentucky's defense just stopped them quickly. A lot of three and outs for Mike Leach's offense in that game. Big win for Kentucky. Big bounce back after losing at home to South Carolina. And Kentucky was not very good on offense either. They just survived. In a game where their defense was great and really shut down Mike Leach's offense. TCU, Sonny Dykes took over for a 5-7 team that pushed out Gary Patterson, who was a legend at TCU. And in year one, he's got them undefeated right now. Great coaching job there. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin at number seven. They go from one of the best passing offenses in football to the best rushing offense in football this year. So very impressive work by, by Lane Kiffin. And, yes, Paul, I do like the fact that Tennessee right now is in a college football playoff position at number three right behind Ohio State and Georgia.
1: I, uh, we, we've been talking about James Madison. James Madison got in last week at 25, got picked off this week, so the green wave in there. And I got to say, I like the mascot, the one mascot that we see up here with eyes, um, and, uh, yeah, green wave, something different, but good for them. But I, I was pulling for James Madison because it was such a good story. Um, their first year with the big boys in the top 25, and they fell out as soon as it happened. Uh, Georgia
2: receiving 31 first-place votes, and uh, Ohio State with 17, Tennessee with 15. So the gap is closing at the top, and November 5th is just around the corner. Two weeks, right? With Tennessee headed to Athens. Three weeks. Um, Three weeks. Three weeks, Yep, A game this week, then Kentucky and then Georgia. So Tennessee's got Martin. Tennessee's got
0: to beat Kentucky. Kentucky. They're going to beat Martin. they they got to beat Kentucky at home, take care of business. They should be a pretty sizable favorite in that game from what we've seen from both. That's going to be a night game just announced earlier, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN against Kentucky. Need to take care of business there. But if they do, you got 8-0 Tennessee traveling to Athens to take on Georgia in what is going to be the second of these mammoth matchups for Tennessee after this past weekend in Alabama. Does that'll Georgia be, have an off that'll week? That'll be a game that's for the SEC's championship.
1: Georgia's got the cocktail party on the 29th. They have an off week this week?
0: They're off this week. Yeah. Kentucky's off. Kentucky now gets two weeks to prepare for Tennessee. Tennessee has almost a bye week against an FCS opponent this week also. But this will be Kentucky's Super Bowl because they have disappointed based on their expectations so far. And that those fans and that program, since they lost a close one at home last year – they have circled this matchup with Tennessee as a barometer for their success, one way or another this season. Tennessee will get their best effort. Yeah, I don't and think, best shot in this game. I don't think
1: Tennessee will have a letdown in anticipating Georgia, but I mean that's a tough game before Georgia, which is obviously Kentucky, a bigger game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, but for Tennessee, oh sure, yeah. I mean, you can't have a letdown there, but that's a tough game before getting to the game that's potentially monumental.
0: Tennessee did a lot offensively against Kentucky a year ago. If they can come close – and their offense is better this year. If they can come close to replicating that, I don't think they're going to have problems because I think Kentucky's offense is much worse this year, quite frankly, especially if Will Levis is not 100%. He had to leave the game at one point against Mississippi State. He wasn't great, but he was tough. Uh, He made some big plays in the second half. They won when he was in there. They lost to South Carolina when he wasn't. So he's obviously a big part of their team. But that's going to be a game to watch. A couple other things in the top 25 I want to point out also, Big Ten-wise, if we can keep that graphic up there. Illinois is 6-1. and one. Let me repeat. Illinois is 6-1. and one. They've not had a winning season since 2011. Shocking. Penn State got humbled big time on Saturday by Michigan. Michigan's offensive line play and the way they ran it all over Penn State was very, very impressive. Michigan has not been, I feel like, talked about that much. I don't know if it's because they just won the Big Ten a year ago. This is not you know, some big come-out-of-nowhere story. But they've been really good
2: so far this year. So I was impressed with the Wolverines. Well, I think part of it is they, they were dominant at the line of scrimmage at this point last year, too, and then humbled in the college football playoff. Um, well, here, so here's, here's what I mean by that.
0: I'm not you know, saying they're the favorite to win at all. Uh, but they were the Big Ten champion a year ago. So they're two spots behind their rival. And that, that's what I'm pointing out here. Could they beat Ohio State this year? Could they do what they did a
2: year ago? I think so. I think it's going to be a great game when those two get together. So you, you had Penn State lead 14-13 in that game. And <laughs> that lose one boy. 45, 41-17. 41-17. Yeah.
1: Then the faucet went off.
2: Yeah, they, uh, they averaged uh, 7.6 yards per carry, 418 yards rushing for the Wolverines. Against a team, by the way, that was giving up fewer than 80 yards rushing per game uh, to rank among college football's leaders in that. So that, that, that was no fluke performance once they turned things on in this. Um, Georgia was Georgia against Vanderbilt. They win 55 nothing, And, I mean, you look at it, you think, oh, there was, there was, what, one turnover in the game. And Vandy had like 150 total yards against Georgia's defense. Not close. That is –
0: look, it's Vandy. Sure. All right? They're bad. But that's a power five opponent. And to hold anyone in today's world of college football to 150 total yards is very impressive. Georgia's a different type of challenge for Tennessee. I think think defensively, even though Bama was ranked ahead of Georgia in some metrics going into that matchup – I feel like they're going to be a different level of challenge defensively. I'll also say this: Stetson Bennett is not the talent of Bryce Young, so give the advantage to Bama from a quarterback head-to-head matchup. Tennessee's not going. Tennessee's not going to face a better quarterback this year than they just faced in that game on Saturday, which bodes
2: well for them. Where Georgia is going to be better than Bama, and I'll be interested if Tennessee can if they beat Georgia, what the rematch could look like against Bama defensively at the nickel spot with Bullard and Smith for Georgia versus what we saw in the nickel this past weekend from Bama and the matchups that they allowed to happen. And this ties in with Jalen Hyatt, who had a performance of a lifetime. a, A day that will... I mean, he... It's an iconic performance, no matter how you look at it, with what he was able to do at the moments of this game where he broke away into the open field for massive scores. I'm watching... Tennessee go up 28-10
0: to in this game, and I'm kind of looking around Neyland Stadium into the eyes of Alabama fans, and what those eyes were telling me was, is this Tennessee offense legal? How how is this happening? I mean, I don't know how you don't watch that offense and almost think, are they cheating in some way? Uh, Can you do that? Can you put guys that far off the field? How does Josh Heupel get Jalen Hyatt matched up on a safety against Nick Saban's defense? So many times, and he just abuses that matchup one-on-one. How does Tennessee get guys down the field one-on-one, streaking, running just full speed, wide open with no safety help? Over and over and over again. It is incredible. Even when Bama was making big plays, Tennessee safeties who are not fast are in the picture. Right, They're coming over to help. Guys are making contested catches. They're going up in coverage and making plays. When Tennessee makes big plays... They are running four steps ahead of the nearest defensive back, and it's either over their head or they're going to catch it in stride yeah, for a touchdown. A couple of the
1: Hyatt plays looked effortless. The one up the left sideline and the one down the middle of the field, he looks like he's playing against children.
2: Tillman yeah, had nine crazy. catches for 162 yards against Pitt, and he hasn't played, and they've been winning since then. Like that type of production in a big game early in the season for Tennessee, it was Cedric Tillman, and now they've, they've picked up the the loss of that and have just moved forward and just ran their off. They office. should
1: have them both for Kentucky, right? You would think. I think so. And definitely for Georgia.
0: But I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> definitely for Georgia.
0: Yeah, but if you're Tennessee also, I mean, you're you're telling them, "Hey, let's let's be sure that we're 100% you've practiced on it a while and you feel good making cuts and everything else. We don't need to rush this back even for Kentucky. Let's get you back for Georgia. That would be a nice boost, right? For that game. And Cedric Tillman was really the offensive highlight a year ago against Georgia, maybe the only one (laughs) uh, for Tennessee. So you want to get him back for that matchup for sure. But it's crazy to think back to the Pitt game and how big that win felt. And it was in overtime against Pitt and what now we've seen as really an outlier bad performance for Tennessee. And Crazy enough to think a road win over Pitt was their bad performance. And look who bailed them out of that game. Cedric Tillman in the end zone just throwing it up to him and he's not even
2: available right now. Tennessee's the best first quarter offense since the start of last season. That carried over, and they've been slow up. They scored thirteen against LSU in the first first quarter. Now LSU's defense at that point had only allowed thirteen points total whenever they faced Tennessee. So Tennessee matched that average uh, in in one game versus the entire uh, adding up all first quarter play defensively. But you're get, getting twenty one against Bama. Now they you know they're stair stair stepping this to the point where it looks similar to the stat line of last year in recent games where they're coming out and they have a a plan that's getting everyone into the rhythm.
0: Yes. And uh, speaking of getting in a rhythm or out of a rhythm, how about Jeremiah Crawford puking in the middle of the fourth quarter and then looking at the Alabama defensive lineman as if to say, yeah, I did it. He just nods his head and goes right back into the play. Let's go
1: picture in the running back being tackled into that. Like on the next well, I, play.
0: I picture if you were go- – I mean, you can't hold it back when you got to go and he was doing it in the huddle. That's the best spot to be, right, off to the side because you're going to go and line up in front of it. But if you actually started to line down and puked across from your rush end, he's a left tackle that has to then rush <laughs> in the vomit or try to get around it. Now, if you want to go for real intimidation – now, it's one of two things. Like, okay, my guy is sick, so I'm going to dominate this snap right here as he's throwing up as he's about to play. Or he
1: might vomit on me again if he's not empty. This could be coming at me momentarily. It
0: was almost courteous of Crawford to puke where he did (laughs) instead of getting right across from the Alabama player and doing it then. Complete gentleman move. Disgusting. But it was great how he's just, you can see his head almost like, yeah, I did it, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, you saw me puke. You see the Bama guy's like, really? Yeah, I'm throwing up. I need a
1: wipey for my face mask. Deal
0: with it. There were a lot of people in Knoxville celebrating and probably doing the same thing, throwing up and saying, "Yeah, mm-hmm. deal with it." I'm throwing up in the street. It's all right. We'll all live. We'll all live with it.
2: He was part of a group that was great against that that front. And Will Anderson, going back to Dane Brugler, put this out. Interesting stat for Bama pass rusher Will Anderson. He's been held. He, he's been held to only one pressure in a game, just twice in 35 career college starts. Both of those are against Tennessee, and both of those are at Neyland, October 24, 2020, and then this past Saturday um, in the upset victory for the Vols over the Tide.
1: We know his least favorite stadium.
2: Yeah. Uh, Chad, set the scene post-game. As we watched the goalpost be torn down, David Ubbin did a great job following I go read this. the, uh, really the goalpost and different pieces of it where everything ended up. And the... Man, the craziness that ensued at Neyland and the entire city of Knoxville on Saturday. It, it was madness. I mean, from the moment
0: the, the kick was was good, the noise level, but just kind of the release of oh, yeah. the fans. And it was instantaneous, the cigar smoke. I mean, the, the fact that people... It, some people, I don't think, even took a second to like hug their neighbor and instead up. just had a match-out or a lighter and would just lighten up the cigar. There was cigar smoke that was around us quickly the fans getting on the field it was not the fastest rush i think people were very careful in jumping over the barrier to get on the field but it was this slow takeover and then you look down again after celebrating some more the field is completely Swole. full of orange and then i think it took about and i read in the oven piece a little over a minute for the goal post to completely come down and now we were we were doing sort of play by play hutton of the college kids that were trying to get it down. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this kid right here, this frat boy who's riding it like a Bronco, he's got the momentum going now. Because there was one guy who like really put his hips into it, <laughs> and it started swaying at that point. And then other people are jumping on it. I'm also watching it, and maybe this because I'm a parent now, but I'm looking at it thinking, someone's going to get hurt by the Under size that. of that thing because there's so many people just looking up at the goalpost when it's about to collapse. On top of their head. I'm amazed that no one got hurt when that happened. Goalposts come down. And then from that point on, you know, we saw the goalpost. We probably stayed for, what, 30, 45 minutes out in the stadium? Yeah. We saw the goalpost just on the field sort of being toted around by the fans. Dixieland Delight is playing. The whole crowd, no one was leaving except for Alabama fans. The whole crowd was singing Dixieland Delight. Um, The David Ubbin piece about the – How they got the – I'm thinking also it cannot be easy to get those goalposts out of the exits of the bowels of Neyland Stadium and where you want to take it. Well, one of them was confiscated. One of them was stopped because they tried to take it through the south end zone, which the south end zone is the Alabama locker room. So it was so heavily guarded by cops. One guy got arrested because the cops stopped him and a fan went and pushed the cop. Tried to push the cop out of the way. They took him to the side arrested him, um, and then they just laid it down, and the cops allowed her to come take a picture with it, which was smart. The cops aren't going to allow them to take it back into the Alabama locker room area where they were leaving the stadium. If you watch clips of the Nick Saban press conference, you can hear Tennessee fans singing Dixieland Delight. And you can hear the the noise from outside the locker room.
1: Who was the administrator who was recorded saying in the press box, "I'll pay that. We'll pay that every year."
0: Yeah, Randy Boyd.
1: Okay. Meanwhile, they start a GoFundMe. Uh, that's thing a that's to, a joke.
0: That that's a total joke. Is it? Yes, it's a good. It seems it, like a tongue and cheek. It's a, it's a clever fundraising thing. They, they have. They've already announced they have extra goalposts. That they can have it. That's a good way to say, "Hey guys, you know, you took our goalposts. Give us money so we can get new ones." They're just trying to raise money. It's a fundraising effort.
1: Well, I think it—it's unbecoming for to anyone that takes it seriously on a day that everything should be happy and look. If 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 you're a
0: Tennessee fan, uh, you would give them money for anything right now. So you don't care at all. I know people who aren't Tennessee fans are looking at like, "Oh my gosh, they're so cheap. They're starting a GoFundMe to get the uh, the goalposts back and." The President Randy exactly boy doesn't even care about the $100,000. It's a joke, though. Like I, I'm telling you. Is it funny? It's a tongue-in-cheek deal about getting money to come in.
1: I thought it looked bad.
2: Well, not, not the video uh, up, up top.
1: The I video mean, of him saying, I'll pay it every year is great. But so then when, when you, you
2: pair you, it with the tweet, you can't tell it's a joke?
1: When you pair it with the tweet, it looks like it's contradictory messaging.
2: <laughs> I think... <laughs> Tennessee has extra goalposts.
0: Like, they may, you know, buy another backup goalpost with money raised, but they don't necessarily have to have it. I think it was a – It honestly, it sounded like something Danny White would say. You know, yeah. like, he's constantly joking on Twitter about, hey, can you please bring back, you know, third down for what? And his response will be, well, if we do it, are you going to be louder this game? You know, would be his response to a Tennessee fan. Are you going to get loud enough for us to do it? Knowing that he's going to do it. That That was my take on it. Uh, maybe it was them being cheap, but I doubt it if the president is saying that they'll gladly do it every week.
1: Have they brought back third down for what?
0: They did for one game for Florida, yeah. They, had, they didn't do it against Alabama. They brought it back for Florida. You wouldn't have heard it either way. No, it was, it was that loud. Look, it, it was an incredible scene. I, I've been to many games in Neyland Stadium. Uh, the loudest games I've attended were – loudest moment maybe I've ever heard was 2001 against Georgia – Travis Stevens got a screen pass, ran for a long touchdown. That was the Hobnell boot game right before Georgia marched right down the field and won it. Um, The loudest I can remember a constant theme of noise was 2015 against Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield. Tennessee got up 21-3, went on to lose in overtime. That one was right there with those moments in that game. I wasn't in in position –
1: I I couldn't sit down and watch the game start to finish, though I saw a lot of it. But again, the crowd shots – I never saw a glimpse of the Bama section.
0: Yeah, it was, it was lighter than usual. That was, that was the least amount of Bama fans I've seen in that stadium in years. I don't know if you well, saw this too. Nick Nick Saban even said, he was asked about his team playing tight, and he said, we always chant when we walk through the tunnel. Our team's always chanting something. And I got to the front of the, the line, and I said, why are you guys not chanting? Like, get loose, let's go, get ready. They were just uh, dead silent. He thought they were almost taking in the environment. Like they well, came out when Tennessee was, because they waited, if you remember Hutton, for a while with the flag and everything while yes, the T broke. Yes. Tennessee came out to that noise, and they're looking straight well, forward at the two Vol signs in the crowd, and they were completely
2: silent, and Saban said that bothered him. I well, thought you
1: were going to say he couldn't hear them chanting, <laughs> which was well, conceivable.
2: But the, I mean, there were a ton of people in there for warm-ups. Yeah, you know that yeah, was the other rivals. thing. So yeah, before they ran out, you know they're up there warming up. So they're maybe he's right. They didn't play. I mean, maybe they played tight when they got yeah, down they, seventeen. They but, got down 28-10, I mean,
0: and then they started. You know, they went on a, an 18-0 run at that point to tie it. I, I don't. I don't think they their first possession. Maybe you can claim that when they had to punt. They gave up some quick points to Tennessee. I don't know if it was them necessarily playing tight, as Tennessee just has a way of just going all in on teams early, right? I mean, that's that's their style too, that they get big leads. They have great first quarters.
1: And I like Heupel's consistency of message. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. like just saying. like It all echoes, like, you should come here. Look at this place.
0: Yeah, it's, it's good. He so said, can you believe this crowd? I mean, I think he said that about three different times. But I mean, that, that's what I'd be thinking also if I were him. I don't know if you guys watch College Game Day, but they had a, a video portion of it with – Heupel and, um, and Kirk Herbstreet where they're going over plays and film. So instead of doing an interview, he came on set, and they had a big video, and Herbstreet was great. He's like, now take me through this, and he's talking about X's and O's of Tennessee's offense. And I felt like Heupel was almost annoyed at one point in the very end because Herbstreet asked him. It was a slant touchdown to Jalen Hyatt after a long hooker run where they snapped it quick, and they got lined up quickly against LSU. And they show the touchdown. And Herbstreit says, so is this his only read on this play? Like, he's looking at that guy the whole time. And you could tell Hypel almost mumbled. He's like, no, he's got three, but he's got rules to follow. He said that was his first rule to follow. And I'm thinking, hey, you're not going to give away the entire playbook. Yeah. But I, I, I've never heard a coach talk about it as rules with a quarterback. And I'm sure what he's saying is, linebacker up, safety drops, you know, here's where you're looking first. So he's saying he hit his first rule which was whatever the defense was showing, they that's were looking at that at that slant first. And that's where he was going to go first the whole time.
2: Later, we'll hear from Josh Heipel and uh, his reaction after the game. Uh, we will also get a, uh, a big review of the NFL and upsets across the board yesterday in week six and what it all means. Uh, we will also discuss the Braves who have bowed out of the postseason meanwhile didn't see a second of it not gonna yeah, lie yeah, yeah don't care meanwhile <laughs> braves fans don't care let's braves crush up.
1: the dodgers too they won well, the world okay. series
0: again yes got I, okay. I, paul i was watching friday night in a restaurant the dodgers lose and i'm thinking what a disappointment if they go down in their first playoff series the
2: padres and then it happened glad you brought that up yankees playing uh, today tonight we will discuss that as well with paul that's all next on outkick 360 Oh, kick 360 rolls on. Big NFL discussion coming up. We'll get back to Tennessee-Bama and an SEC recap. That Ole Miss game was fun. Ole Miss-Auburn. Ole Miss was up big, and then Auburn came back, cut it to four, 28-24, and then the Rebels took
0: off again. Those Auburn players have not quit on Brian Harson. Makes it a lot more difficult for the boosters to get their way, for him to be fired quickly. But they're playing hard. They were in that game. Tank Bigsby was incredible. Uh, they, also, they ran all over Ole Miss, just like Ole Miss yeah. ran all
2: over them. Hit us up at Outkick360. Paul, your Yanks playing the Guardians today. Your thoughts in game five?
1: Well, I'm hopeful, but they're not being managed well. Uh, look, uh, Kiner Falefa, the, the shortstop, we've been begging for him to be ousted. He made two plays that were terrible in the game that they lost at the end. Uh, including an uh, 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 error, I guess it wasn't judged an error, but a, a play that cost them like 20 extra pitches for their starter in, in game, what was it, three. So And, and yep. so we've been saying, play Cabrera there, play Cabrera there, play Cabrera there. They get to an elimination game yesterday, and they finally play the rookie Cabrera there, which almost is infuriating that it takes you to that point. Now, if he's not there today... We're gonna kill him. Then yes, then then they get uh, to to a game and they bring in two of their three best relievers in a short bullpen, and they use them for a total of twenty two pitches, like they're using them situationally. He's got to bring them in and use them. Then they've got Cabrera, who's a natural shortstop, who's played good outfield for them. They get into a ninth inning where they have a two run lead, and he's in left field. Well, they've got Hicks on the bench, who's a natural outfielder. He's done nothing in the series. And they're playing against a bloop team. Wouldn't you put in your best defensive outfield at that stage to go catch bloops? And they don't make that move. Boone's managing a terrible series. So I'm concerned tonight, but it's a, you know, every arm goes. And they got it back to New York at least. If they lose tonight, is Boone out? I mean, I I think they're patient as hell with Cashman and Boone, but I, I think he should be out for the kind of reasons that I'm explaining. I mean, these are by the book analytical decisions that they're well, not making. Well, I'll win,
0: win tonight, it. though, and you get Astros-Yankees, exactly what we expected pretty much all season. With the
1: Astros pitching advantage On because up. they've they've rested. But you get the series you wanted. And if you win that, you get home field for the World Series because AL's got advantage for the World Series. Yeah, the two upsets in the NLDS. But I'm concerned with the way this is breaking down. Look, the Dodgers, I want to bash, okay? And I understand. you got to get to the playoffs, and you've got to perform. They were 22 games better than the Padres, and they won 14, I believe, of 19 in the season series with the Padres. So on the one hand, you say, well, listen, you did it in the regular season. Now the lights are on. Go do it. But on the other hand, they say in 166, 162 game schedule, they were so much better. And here, all they get is a five game series. And if you don't do it, wow, the harsh reality. And well, it seems almost unfair.
0: Same for the Braves can be said. I think they were 16 or 17 games better in the NL East than the Phillies. And they lose in four games.
2: You chase down the Mets and then the yeah, Phillies. You may,
0: you look, Spencer Strider and, and Charlie Morton didn't have good stuff. Strider gets lit up in a third inning in game three. They it's lose. our obsession
1: with the playoffs then, over the, the long season that has tremendous meaning. That's why, and I think you agree with me on this, got to have at least a seven-game series. It's, yes, hard for that,
2: me, yes.
0: it's hard for me to get upset about playoff baseball, too upset for that reason. Because it's such a long grind of a regular season, and you get to the end, and its it was magical when the Braves went on the run last year and played their best baseball at the very end and won it all. It's great, but it just still feels like such a crapshoot. So, when you throw get those teams up? that all have good, three good starting pitchers, decent bullpens, they all have good lineups, all the teams left in the playoffs, I feel like it's a coin flip. With all these teams in every series as it's to who's going to be playing better. I, I, Which starting I, I pitcher's know have how a little it sounds
1: more. and I know it's weak, but for me, for the Phillies or the Padres to be representing the NL as low as they ranked in, in the whole field, it feels almost like we're being shortchanged. And all I would say is make it a seven game series.
2: I don't understand why it's not because you're, you're barely playing. I know you don't want to play in November, but we've been doing that for years now. Um, and it's only the first week of November.
1: And cut the regular season if down to 154. Seven games, go, if it's you're only so the first intent on big playoffs, cut it to 154.
2: And at least for the Padres' sake, they bought in at the trade deadline at that moment and then put the lineup together that they I have. got two
1: big Philly fans in my house. I need oh. the Yankees to keep going. Please, God.
2: Garrett Cole's done all he can.
1: Yeah, he's been good. he got it done twice.
2: Coming up... Tyler Dunn joins us. We talk tight ends across the NFL based on his new book and recap week six of the National Football
1: League.